My favorite thing about the creative capabilities in DSP, the customization, is that you can really work to tell your brand's story and increase presence along the path to purchase, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be view through remarketing to somebody who's already aware of your brand. You can really cultivate those creatives depending on the audience that you're going after. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Schellert from Ad Advance, and today I'm joined by Adam Malott from Better AMS. And Adam, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, man. Great to be here, Joe. You know, followed you and what you've been doing, the content you've been pumping out for a long time. So I'm just honored to be here and really excited to dive in. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And, you know, it's been so cool. Like, so a little while ago, we were able to get together with your team down in Puerto Rico and kind of put our heads together on some different items. And that kind of drove that felt like this would be an awesome podcast to get together with you guys. Again, we've done some podcasts with Destiny already from Better AMS, but really excited to get your perspective on some different items. For those who don't know you or Better AMS, maybe give us a quick background. Yeah, so I started here probably in the space about six years ago. Started actually on the publishing side of things, which is a unique entry into Amazon. So, started with APS, just helping authors self publish, working on listings, press releases, marketing, things like that. Made the switch over to the product side. That was probably four years ago now. Learned the ropes of full service management, transitioned over to PPC kind of ran with that and fast forward until 2022 and here we are at Better AMS. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I've heard so many different entrances into the area. I haven't heard any from the publisher side. So that is <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah, it's a a bit of a smaller industry, we'll call it, but yeah, you know, it was it was a smooth transition. There was a lot that I was able to take away from that side, you know, predominantly just client facing, understanding pain points and what authors were looking for and you know, again, being able to transition that over to the product side. So it was certainly an interesting introduction, but all things considered, I think it's it's working so far. So <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And for this episode, so one of the key things that we thought would be really valuable to talk about is DSP and how it ties into sponsored ads and really how it fits into the bigger picture overall for sellers. So I guess just starting off, like when you guys are looking at your clients, and you know you've got clients that are running ads on the sponsored side when do you typically say like now is a good time to run dsp or what are the key things that you're looking at or what evaluation are you taking when looking at amazon dsp as a whole and figuring out if it's going to be a good integration to go along with sponsored ads yeah that's a really good question you know i think that there are a lot of variables to consider when approaching a potential brand with a DSP introduction. There are obviously quite a few uh, brands that will work well with DSP, right? CPG brands, uh, brands with high price point, brands with high conversion rate, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really going to depend on what your overall goal is with DSP. I know personally, I've worked with quite a few small brands. I'll use CPG brands as an example, where we've done something as simple as running view through, view through remarketing, excuse me, and that alone, you know, really helps to leverage your existing PPC traffic that you're already spending money to create and generate, as well as your organic side as well. So I think that's a good starting point, you know, in terms of what brands are a strong fit for DSP. Sure. 
And so there's a ton of different strategies that we can implement. And it sounds like we kind of start with the, the same item. Like when you're talking about like remarketing, that's going to be a much more like bottom of funnel type strategy that we can add on on the DSP side. So typically when you're getting DSP going, are you guys just starting with like some of the bottom of funnel strategies and then proceeding up or more trying to integrate it all from the start? How do you typically approach that? It's another good question, Joe. You know, I would say that we generally start with the more bottom funnel, lower hanging fruit strategies, right? You always want to have a a baseline established ROAS expectation set, things like that. Um, But a lot of times, you know, we're trickling in more awareness, plays, contextual strategies, things like that. It's going to depend on, you know, what specifically we're looking for in terms of KPI. But yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate in general. We like to start lower funnel. Sure. Yep. And the key reason why we do that too is when you're getting into DSP, like one, what we're trying to do for a lot of our clients is prove the initial results. And so bottom of funnel strategies, I mean, they are the low hanging fruit as you go. And then the other reason why I really like it too, is you're building out that foundation overall with your DSP advertising that feeds into or corresponds with your sponsored advertising. But then if you jumped right away to higher funnel strategy, but didn't have that bottom of funnel built out, I feel like that's where a lot of people get burned by DSP is they try to go too big, too quick without building that solid foundation from the start. So, you know, if we spend all this money with upper funnel strategies, trying to get them involved or aware of our brand, but then we don't have other ways to like recapture them further down or, all right, now they're aware of our brand, but then they forget about it because we're not reminding them with more lower funnel strategies. I feel like that's where a lot of people get burned by DSP and turned off is, well, you know, I ran this lifestyle audience and spent a ton of money and it didn't convert into sales. And then you dig into it and it's like, well, we didn't have that bottom of funnel built out. That foundation wasn't there to actually lead to conversions. Yeah, I would completely agree. And I think that's a generally safe approach across all advertising platforms. And we can use PPC as PPC as an example as well. Um, You know, any advertiser that you talk to is not going to immediately dive into aggressive awareness plays when setting up foundational campaigns, right? It's going to be the same transition as PPC where, you know, you're going to want to allocate your money wisely. So we're not necessarily going to want to, as you said, invest 80% of our budget into into an awareness play. And while you may see impressions, you know, through the roof that month, my assumption is that your return is not going to be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get started with DSP then? Let's take an example and have a client that's spending 20 grand a month on sponsored ads. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you start for DSP? What do you typically recommend for budget or min budget? Or how do you approach that and set those expectations from the start? Yeah. So, my golden rule personally is we like to start with a 10K test budget. Now, sure. that can be stretched out across you know, a multitude of different strategies. But ultimately, again, I go back to the expectation setting. That's what's going to be most important when launching DSP, especially for a brand who's never utilized it before. So I think describing the value that DSP can bring is going to be very important. Um, you know, if we if we launch 100% of our budget towards remarketing, while you are going to be able to leverage that traffic, you may not feed your top line with that strategy. Um, so really dialing in, you know, what the brand is looking for before 
allocating your DSP budget towards XYZ strategies is going to be very important. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we operate kind of on the, the same basis too. So when we're looking at clients, we don't have a set minimum, but at the same time, you definitely want to, you want to have enough data to be able to prove the results. Right. <laughs> and th there's a lot of testing that goes in from the start too. And so, you know, we've got our set strategies that we have on the sponsored side. DSP, there's a lot more different ways that you can utilize the data and the audiences and everything else like that. And so some of the initial fun is getting in there and testing and seeing what's really going to work to be able to scale that as you go. But if you don't have enough budget from the start, you may never get there. And so I, I think it's a good rule of thumb that you've got for like the 10K dollar amount, even if we don't necessarily have a min or you can stretch over multiple months, that dollar amount does give you, it, it gives you enough data to be able to really fine tune and then figure out what's working and make those next decisions as you go. Yep. I would absolutely agree, Joe. So when you're looking at this for your clients, I know when you first started, you were talking about some items like, all right, people that have higher price points or maybe repeat purchases kind of circle back to that a little bit too. So like when you're screen screening through your clients and trying to figure out who's going to be the ideal person for DSP, like what's general criteria that you're looking at in terms of like price points or purchase rates or different things? Like if you had to compare a couple different clients, what would be a good one and what would be one that maybe you might not be a good fit for DSP. Yeah. You know, I think off the top of my head, DSP is ideal, obviously, for consumer consumable products. Anything repeat purchased, you know, anything that you can drive brand loyalty with is going to be very ideal. Aside from that, you want to make sure that the products that you're advertising in DSP are established. Another golden rule that I like to follow is no less than 15 customer reviews no less than a three and a half star rating on that specific product. Although, you know, I would reach more towards four or less. High conversion rate is ideal, right? We can drive as much traffic as possible to the listing, but if customer's not converting, you're ultimately wasting money. So just making sure that your conversion rate is high for that specific product. And again, higher priced products that not, aren't necessarily CPG or consumer packaged are good products as well to advertise in DSP. Something that, you're going to be able to see a higher return on, which is why we like to go for the more higher price point items. Even for some of our clients, we won't advertise or we won't utilize DSP for, for the majority of their product list. But what we will use DSP for is their higher priced items, more exclusive items. So. Sure. Yep. And that totally makes sense. Like, so if you're looking at DSP like, and if it's good fit for you, kind of using your criteria and building on that a bit from what we look at, like exactly what you said for higher price point items, it's going to have a longer buying cycle. And so right. DSP is awesome for just kind of introducing more people to your brand or keeping that conversation going while you're in that consideration phase. And then the consumable items or high repeat purchase rates. It's great because you can utilize like repurchase targeting on DSP to remind people and keep them coming back so they're loyal customers. But the other key piece that you're hitting on is the lifetime value overall. And so, right. you know, if we're just focused on a single sale, 
coming in and it's a lower price point item that maybe doesn't have that high of a margin, it might not make as much sense to run DSP and it probably doesn't make as much sense to run DSP versus somebody who comes in once they're introduced to our brand and buy that initial product. Now they're coming back and they're purchasing, you know, four or five more times. And it's that higher lifetime value when you can extend it out over the, you know, it's not just that initial sale that's driving that ROAS. It's the whole LTV. It's the whole lifetime value from those repeat purchases. That's where it can really add up to make sense and using DSP to continually build on that audience and those people who are new to brand. That's where DSP can really get fun. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And I think that's a great point. You know, a lot of the questions I receive, what seems like almost weekly at this point is, you know, sponsored display is rolling out quite a few very similar features to DSP. Why can't I just utilize sponsored display instead of DSP, instead of investing all of this money into DSP? Sure. And I think, you know, getting precise in terms of strategy is going to be the biggest reason, right? So using DS or excuse me, using sponsored display as an example, you know, we have the view through remarketing, which is huge for that specific platform. But the difference on the DSP side is that we can leverage those remarketing audiences even further with exclusion. You can go after purchasers who, you know, potentially had purchased a year ago and maybe moved off the brand or forgot about it. Specifically for a CPG product, you can go after those who may be out of supply, you know, after X amount of days. So there's just a lot more leverage in DSP, um, at least at this point, as compared to sponsor display. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Like sponsor display is a great introductory product into some of the most commonly used strategies within DSP. And the key struggle that they always have is that, all right, they need to make it as simple as possible so the majority of sellers can easily come in and implement it while trying to give us as much tools and customization as possible. <laughs> and so it's a tough balance. And so what ends up happening is we have these great introductory tools to test out different strategies on the sponsored display side. But then for people who are in it all the time, like Adam or I or our teams, um, there's so much more customization that you can do within DSP. And so, you know, what, what we typically say is like, yeah, feel free to test out on the sponsor display side or we'll, you know, test that out on the sponsor display side if you want to just try out this strategy. If we're implementing it any type of scale from our standpoint, we're going to be doing it in DSP just because there's so much customization you can do, like one on the audience side, like you were saying, and being able to layer in different audiences and fine tune that more. But then also on like the creative side and the placement side and just overall control. There's a lot more control that you have within DSP, which is why we always tend to lean that way. I would completely agree with that as well. You know, my favorite thing about the creative capabilities in DSP, the customization, is that you can really work to tell your brand's story and increase presence along the path to purchase, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be view through remarketing to somebody who's already aware of your brand or who may have visited a competitor listing and now they're seeing sponsored display ads. You can really cultivate those creatives depending on the audience that you're going after. Uh, and that's something that we've leveraged quite a bit in DSP. Sure. Yep, it's just feeding into that story based off of the audience and kind of where they're at in the buying cycle or how familiar they are with the brand or the product. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. So 
when you implement DSP, so we're, we're going back to the example for the client that we just recommended it to, and we're starting more like lower funnel strategies. So we're starting mm-hmm. out and we're proving, proving DSP through like retargeting. If that's going well, then where do you typically move next? Or what's the different types of audiences or strategies that you build out after that? Yeah. So from lower funnel strategies, we'll slowly work to climb up the funnel. So we'll go after probably customers who are more in market, but may not be aware of your brand. Something that's cool about DSP is that you can create those custom competitor audience. Let me rephrase that custom competitor ASIN audiences, right? So while sponsored display has your standard product targeting, category targeting, through DSP, you can get a bit more refined and actually create audiences of competitor products who you know may have a higher price point than yours or a lower review, et cetera, et cetera. And you can group those audiences into different look-back windows, right? So we can expand from there. We can get a bit more precise. We can stretch out the look-back window. Um, we can implement exclusions again. So I think that, you know, just climbing a bit up the funnel, um, going after precise competitors who you have an advantage over is going to be key. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that strategy. And it's just a fun one too for DSP. When we create the audiences, all right, let's pull all of our major competitors who we know we have a better product than they do. And we can find people who have viewed the products, but haven't gone on to purchase. And so we know that they're in the market. We know that they're looking for these different products. And we know that they have not bought on Amazon from these different people. And so what we can do is then target our competitors and show people ads to our products and hopefully get them to purchase. So it's a great sales expansion strategy where you're still not going to a cold audience. It's very warm because you know that they're looking for the products. They just may not be familiar with your product or your brand. So I, I love that one. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I think that's what is a huge driver in DSP as well. Just being able to get more precise in strategy already, right? Um, you know, I go back to the sponsor display comparison where, again, we can run standard product targeting. But again, on the, on the DSP side, you know, through exclusion, through look, customized look back window, through custom ad copy, creative custom image, et cetera, we can really work to leverage that precise strategy that an advertiser is going after, which is very cool in my mind. You know, I go back to the example of a, a customer who has purchased from a brand maybe a year ago and really enjoyed the product, potentially forgot or is just not top of mind anymore and has moved off of that product. That is a very powerful lever you can pull in DSP to remarket to those who you know, are aware of your brand, but may not be, you know, in this exact moment. That's just something that's few and far between compared to BPC. So. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And that's what's so fun when you layer all this on top of your standard sponsored funnel structure where things can really add up. And so when you're adding in DSP, 
how do you review different results or, you know, some issues that can come into play is maybe my DSP ads start kind of cannibalizing the reported sales, my sponsored side, but may not be adding as much to overall sales. You know, that's some questions that we always get is, all right, if I'm retargeting and somebody views my ads on DSP, it gets attributed as a sale, but they may have been coming back anyway. Um, How do you kind of segment the data between the two and make sure that like once you add in DSP that it's really adding like true overall results and not just getting credit for some of the sales? Yeah. So the cool thing about DSP is that we can actually submit an entity ID directly in the advertiser settings. And what that does is it prevents double attribution because obviously DSP is view through, right? So that's going to be, you know, a really important step when setting up DSP itself. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, you know, ultimately what we go for right off the bat. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So, and there's the, the no double counting that, that you're going through. And then, you know, some other key pieces too that we can be looking at is like using tools now. There's like Amazon Marketing Cloud where you're able to start to stitch the data all together and kind of tie and look at things in more of a holistic fashion. And then the, the other thing that you can definitely do too when you're looking at it is just, was there an overall sales uplift that I saw and trying to tie that back in? It always gets a little bit trickier because there's so many other outlying factors that factor into it. And so that's where once you start getting into upper funnel strategies, it gets trickier to measure like the overall impact. But what's cool is Amazon's constantly rolling out new tools or new reporting, like they're new to brand metrics that are getting included in more reports. That makes it a lot easier to fully understand what's the what's the true scale and impact that we have from our advertising, especially when we start to combine in these different channels. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely difficult right off the bat to evaluate overall brand lift. But something I like to stress with DSP is that this is most certainly a marathon and not a sprint. You're not going to see immediate results. You know, you may, but a lot of brands do not see immediate results like they do in PPC. If you're utilizing a full funnel strategy on DSP, it is a very, very powerful tool, but it does take time. So my advice to anybody who, you know, is is considering DSP would be to be patient, at least for the first few months, because the value add for DSP really comes after the fact. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I love that you hit on that point too, because even the further we get up the funnel too, the longer the time is till the actual conversion. And so if we're running this sporadically or we're not giving it enough time for those results to actually shine through, especially once we're getting up to like just more of like the branded campaign side, it takes time to establish and it's that continual effort and energy and money and everything else that you're putting into it versus, yep, just trying to spread and running out of gas early on and then shutting everything off. So, yep, the the best results you're going to see is that slow, steady <laughs> energy being put into it and then slowly working your way up as you go. Exactly. And that's, that's going to be consistent across the sound PPC strategy as well. I've only worked with a very, very minimal amount of brands who are able to really take off off the bat. It's always a trickle in, right? We're always identifying the lowest hanging fruits, like you said, branded campaigns, you know, something as simple as an automatic campaign, finding out what works and scaling from there. So DSP is is ultimately more of the same there, just at a much greater detail. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So for people who want to find out more about you, Adam, or more about better AMS, where should they go? 
Yeah, so you can go to betterams.com, check out the services that we offer. Our co-founder, Destiny Washan, has a fantastic LinkedIn content. She's always keeping the community updated with new Amazon updates, new strategies, quarterly insights, yearly insights, etc. So those would probably be the two best places to reach us. That's awesome. Yep. So definitely connect with Adam, connect with Destiny. They're, they're constantly putting out awesome content. Yeah. And then Better AMS, great agency too. So yep, we've, we've worked a lot with you guys and talked a lot with you guys and love having you on the podcast. And it's fun that we were able to get our teams together to connect and put our heads together. And hopefully, <laughs> you know, we've got some great learnings that we can incorporate and just keep expanding what we're doing. So, um, Adam, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a ton of fun. Joe, really appreciate it, man. You know, again, you, you guys have a fantastic team over at AdAdvance. Really enjoy getting to know you guys. And hopefully we get to spend some more time together shortly. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. And for those who are listening to the podcast, as always, really appreciate you listening to the Ad Project. And we'll see you on the next episode.